Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hello, everyone. In this special episode, we'll be shining the spotlight on the Rennie Outlook, an annual publication by the Rennie Intelligence team that outlines our views on the direction of change in a selection of housing, economic, and demographic indicators for BC and Metro Vancouver for 2022. My name is Justine Liu, a managing broker at Rennie, and as always, joining me today is Ryan Berlin, Senior Economist and Director of Intelligence, and Ryan Wise, our Senior Analyst with our Intelligence Division. I'm also happy to welcome Natalie Janae to our conversation today. Natalie's career in real estate industry spans multiple decades and has been in Rennie Advisor for almost 10 years. Her specialty lies in the Vancouver and North Shore neighborhoods and is a pre-sale investment um, specialist around the province. Welcome, everyone. Hey, Justine. Hello. Hello. Hi, Natalie. <laughs> Hi. Hi. How are you guys doing today? This is our first podcast back in the room. It's great to see everyone's faces in I person. I am so excited to be live with you guys and see you. I can validate that Natalie's very excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we're very excited to have Natalie here. So let's get started. Ryan, Ryan, we're eager to dig deeper into what we anticipate the housing market might look like this year. Um, Natalie, we're also excited to have you join us today with your on-the-ground perspective with, as a realtor. So how has January been so far? So even though, so we know that the data say that inventory has crept up a little bit, like through January and into early February, but is that perceptible when you're actually working with, with buyers? Or is it the same level of frustration now that you sort of were experiencing last year? I would say, I mean, I haven't been frustrated. I think it's about approaching the market, whatever market you're in, and figuring out how to create that opportunity for your client. Um, but I would say January was nice to have a little bit more of that inflow compared to the end of December where we weren't seeing a lot of new stuff come on. That being said, there's still a lot of demand for what is coming on. And we're seeing that in prices. Nice to have some fresh listings out there. Oh, it's, it is nice. But I mean, then it's elbows up and making sure your clients are prepared and understand that list price is not going to be selling price. Right. So let's get started on what we're going to be talking about today. In today's episode, we'll discuss the four most important predictions for Vancouver's region's housing market in 2022, including the market performance and market drivers. But first, Ryan, can you tell us what the outlook is and why do we do it? How do we come to these predictions? Which Ryan? I can answer. <laughs> Whichever Ryan wants to answer. <laughs> so the Running Outlook is a report that we put together uh, once a year. We've been compiling the data in this format for the past three years. And it gives us the uh, sort of vehicle to uh, predict uh, about a dozen different um, elements of our market, whether it's pre-sale counts, resale counts, so things directly within our housing market, uh, or things that are affecting our housing market, like wages, employment growth, housing starts, immigration, and things like that. So we're very excited to share our predictions for this year. Great. So let's jump into our first prediction. Immigration to Metro Vancouver will rise to new heights in 2022. So we had a record immigration to Canada last year, didn't we? Yes. So we're saying we're going to exceed a record that's just set? Yes. 
um, and you know, in my opinion, this is probably one of our safest predictions. So probably one that we'll end up getting wrong. Definitely. But um, I don't think this one's actually particularly bold that will break the most recent record. Um, and so how we kind of got to this is um, look first. Uh, at the end of 2020, Canada revised their immigration targets. Um, so they wanted to, after the disruptions from 2020, set more aggressive targets to sort of backfill some of those immigrants that didn't come in 2020. Um, and then moving forward, in, continue to increase immigration as before. So the target for 2021 was 401,000 people. Uh, we don't have December numbers in yet, but it looks like we're on track probably to come close to hitting that, maybe surpass, we'll see once December comes in. Um, and so the target for 2022 is 411,000, so another 10,000 more. Um, so the first question we sort of ask ourselves is, do we think that um, we'll hit that target for the country? Uh, and you know, we talk about it and we say, yeah, we, we do. Um, considering all the disruptions in 2021 with COVID, with new waves, with everything else, um, to probably hit the 2021 number uh, is is quite impressive. And I think, you know, when we consider the factors moving forward in 2022, um, we, we do expect that Canada will get that number. And then from there, it's just a matter of sort of predicting how many of those people will end up in our region. Uh, and there's been some pretty consistent numbers for over the last few years. So um, BC typically gets between, say, 13% and 17% of all Canadian immigrants. So we went with 17%, which is the more recent number. And then from there, Metro Van gets anywhere from 78 to 90% of those. And we, again, took the most recent number, which was 78%. Um, and that number leads us to 55,000 new immigrants to the region. Um, wow. Yeah. So one thing to note is some of those people are already here. So they are uh, students or temporary foreign right. workers who will then get a, a permanent resident status. Um, but still, that will be a record high for the region again if we hit that number. Um, and there is there is some interesting trends here that kind of go past just the international migration as more people are choosing BC, but fewer people are choosing Metro Van. And I know, Ryan, uh, it's not just the international immigrants too, it's uh, domestic as well. Yeah, and I think like just sort of expanding on the thought process be behind some of the apportioning of the Canadian immigrants to BC and then from BC to Metro Vancouver, as Ryan said, you know, the share of um, permanent residents uh, to Canada that ultimately you know, end up in BC, that share has been rising. And as Ryan said, to 17% most recently, we do see that higher proportion of uh, 17% versus, you know, five, six years ago, it being 13, 14% as, as more likely to prevail going forward, because we are seeing people generally drawn to the West Coast. And as Ryan said, we're seeing that in domestic migration flows as well. So people from other parts of Canada, since the start of the pandemic, so it's the last five quarters, net interprovincial migrations is people moving between provinces in Canada, for BC has been 48,000. So that number probably is meaningless on its own. It means that 48,000 more people have moved to BC from other parts of Canada than have gone the other way. So we've grown by 48,000 people through people moving within the country. But to give it to some context, over that same period, the second um, quote-unquote most popular destination in Canada uh, has been Nova Scotia. 
Interesting. Do um, we know why? Coastal. Well, yeah, there's <laughs> bifurcation of migration flows definitely within Canada where people are heading to the coasts, east coast and west coast. Right. They're definitely not heading to the west coast for housing affordability, but likely that is something that they're pursuing a lower cost of living out east because we also see other um, Atlantic provinces mm -hmm. in the top five. And so for interprovincial migration flows. But yeah, Nova Scotia attracted a net of 13,000 over that period. So, and so again, here in BC, we attracted 48,000. So there's a huge, a huge disparity. And then country or uh, provinces that are, you know, more or, more or less landlocked uh, in Canadian context, lost people like Quebec, Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, all net losses through that period. So, you know, again, going back to the immigration number and the thinking behind, you know, the the 17% coming to BC and that being a higher share than we've seen in the past, we do think that that will continue. What's interesting though is we've also seen on the immigration front higher proportion of um, BC immigrants ending up in Metro Vancouver than we have recently. So that 78% share, 78% of immigrants to BC that end up in Metro Vancouver is actually lower than we've seen in the past. But that's also consistent with people sort of spreading out within the province over the mm -hmm, last couple mm -hmm. of years and, you know, being close to like your home, being close to work, not being as important and the chase for space being a real thing, housing affordability being an issue. Um, you know, just some thinking there behind why we think that the most recent shares will prevail. And I kind of agree with Rye, but I know we're setting ourselves up to fail that these are, this isn't a bulletproof pr prediction, mm -hmm. but it, you know, it would, it would take some seriously off trend, um, um, factors um, to come to come into play for us not to hit that fifty five thousand immigrants. And do you guys know where these people are coming from? Don't ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> so, or an idea, perhaps. I think it's interesting because I, we are seeing typically when we ask this question, a lot of people think Asia, but a lot of what I'm seeing is Americans coming up. So I'm wondering if that, if you guys, I mean, I don't know if you break that down. Yeah, you know, to be honest with you, we, that's not something that we've recently looked into, but I have heard that as well. Um, and particularly within certain markets, um, like if we extend the boundary of Metro Vancouver to include Whistler, mm -hmm. are we seeing a lot of American participation in that market right now? I mean, not my specialty, rumor on the street, yes. Um, personally, my business and my makeup has always been local and I've seen a shift in it. Um, quite a few people getting referred from Alberta I'm um, working with a couple Americans as well um, coming up here. I have other questions for you. Let me know what I'm allowed to ask. Oh, you can ask. <laughs> ask it as yeah. you go. Do it, yeah. Okay, so what I've heard from you guys in the past is typically when immigrants come up, there's about a five-year span before they purchase. Is that consistent or is that what you're referencing-wise in terms of um, the PR, people that are already here waiting for PR? to purchase. Yeah. So I think that's on average, it's about five years. So for some, uh, they'll be like a student here first or a temporary foreign worker and they'll rent first. And then on average about five years. Uh, and then for others, they're actually coming over from their home country and getting PR status and then coming over. And I think that on average is still about five years. Generally people come figure out what neighborhood they like to live in, sort of get to know the city and then make, you know, one or two more moves before they buy a place. But of course that's not true for everyone. Yeah. I do think it's worth differentiating. Like <clears throat> definitely yeah, people who the, what the data have shown, if we're speaking in a strict sense to the data, I would expect nothing less. Of course, yes, <laughs> yes. Love it or hate it. Um, it's for, for people who are actually moving into Canada from outside of Canada, 
over that five-year period is where you see, or beyond that five-year period is where you see that transition from rental to owning. But to Ryan's point, we know that a significant proportion of permanent resident admissions are associated with people that are already here. So presumably in those cases, some of them might have already been owners, right? And some might have been renting, but they've been here for potentially longer than um, that five-year time frame. So the, there, there are sort of two groups of immigrants um, in terms of their, but they all, they all follow the same sort of pattern of housing tenure, renting followed by ownership. Yeah, the reason I'm asking that is because you're saying pretty big numbers and a prediction of this Im- immigration coming in. So how is that going to affect demand? And the clients I'm seeing that are from out of country, it's waiting for that PR status, but that's more so to offset the foreign buyer's tax. I think Absolutely. If, if they didn't mm-hmm. have that, I think they would be purchasing sooner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. So do you notice um, in working with buyers who are coming into this market from outside of it, whether it's from overseas or it's just south of the border, um, is there is there a uh, is there a different sort of buyer profile associated with those types of purchasers versus local buyers? Like for, as an advisor, do you do you need to differentiate or change your approach? Well, yes, in that we have different taxes and different process than what they're used to coming in. Housing everywhere is quite competitive. So they do from their own markets anticipate that it is going to be competitive. So you are taking a little bit more of a step in terms of this is the process in Canada. This is how we get to completion, possession, um, the taxes involved in terms of foreign buyers tax and so on and so forth. Um, and then a little bit towards schools, but I mean, you're kind of doing that now as people are expanding, as you said, that chase for space, like people are stepping outside of their comfort zone in the neighborhoods that they know, whether they're going further into the interior of the Island and so forth. So that education process I think is part of it. Great. And let's head on to prediction number two. The unemployment rate will approach its effective lower bound by the end of the year. So this prediction sounds really technical. Can you explain in layman's terms what this means? We talk about movers and then we talk about employment and unemployment because the vast majority of people who do move to Canada and then even within the country, um, you could classify as little e economic migrants. I mean, some, some of them are pursuing education opportunities. Um, but a lot of people are moving for jobs. So when we talk about the unemployment rate hitting its lower bound, essentially what we're saying is that the unemployment rate can never be zero, right? You you can, you know, Mm -hmm. that would be in on paper. That would be great. If everybody who wanted a job could find a job, it would, it would lead to horrific wage inflation, which would turn into price inflation. And it would be, you know, essentially, um, you would you would see an economy running very hot very quickly, which invariably then would lead to a significant downturn. It's essentially not an equilibrium state to have an unemployment rate below a certain level. So what is that level? What is that lower bound? From experience, looking back over history here in Metro Vancouver, um, we think it's at about 4%. You know, we've hit that a, a few times over the past few years, most notably um, prior to the Great Recession of 08, 09, although that was certainly not the cause of the recession. Um, but we sort of hovered around 4% for about a year. Um, we were also at 4 to 4.5% pr- right prior to the pandemic. And so, and then from there, the unemployment rate 
tripled, right? And we've been working our way back slowly, but making some significant strides. So currently the unemployment rate is just over 5%. So there is, in a sense, some slack. If we think the lower bound is 4%, there's some slack that needs to be taken up to get back to that pre-pandemic um, level of unemployment. Um, so we're expecting another 40 to 50,000 jobs, net new jobs in Metro Vancouver this year. Um, many of those jobs will certainly be filled by newcomers, so immigrants and domestic migrants. Um, some of them will be filled through, um, it'll be the workforce that's already here. So the unemployed who will find work. I mean, there's a bit of a mismatch right now. I know we've talked about everybody's aware of job vacancies being high. I mean, the data say that they're at an all-time high of 6.5% of all jobs being vacant. So the demand for workers is higher than, is greater than the supply. I think part of that might have been the existence of some of the um, employment and income subsidies from the federal government, which expired in the fall of last year. So I, you know, I do think there are some people at the margin who maybe could have afforded quite literally to, you know, wait for the quote unquote perfect opportunity um, employment wise before making a move that they're now, they don't have the supports that they had before. And there might be a little bit more urgency with which to reenter the job market. So, you know, I think directionally we see the unemployment rate moving downward. We give a range of four to five percent um, in the outlook because there's some variation, natural variation that happens sort of month to month. The question I have for you, given the changing landscape of um, of jobs, not just in Metro Vancouver but everywhere, um, I guess more specifically that people don't need to live as close to work maybe as they felt like they needed to before, is that actually like impacting people's decision to buy and maybe even sell? Like, is that manifesting at all within the market? Excellent question. It is, I would say. And it's having that work from home space, even if they are going into the office. I mean, here we have cohorts, I've been told, at head office. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, don't, I mean, I don't mean that for the government to come after us. I don't work in the office. We follow all the rules. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. Um, so that is you that there, there is impact even for people staying later. Like, yes, work from home is essential, but also gyms. So that ah. space for, okay, I don't just need a cubby hole to put my desk. I also need a spot to work out. So that is motivating people to make changes. Um, and again, using this phrase that I'm totally going to rip off now is this chase for space. Um, oh, wise. That's a wise. He does have some good ones. <laughs> um, so yes, that that is definitely impacting, I would say. and people, And also not having to come as close to work. I think we're also seeing part of this immigration aspect is that you can work anywhere now and that talent pool has expanded. So where do you want to spend your time, your leisure time? And we're seeing that I, when Martha was on here speaking about that to Squamish um, and I mean, Whistler's on fire right now, the island's on fire. I mean, that's be because of that lifestyle choice. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. because, And probably New Brunswick as well. Well, no, exactly. So I was yeah. going to say it sort of, if you want to classify it as micro and macro level trends, I mean, micro being within the region, people are sort of moving to the periphery, if you will, outside of the most densely mm -hmm. populated areas where the jobs typically are. Um, but then you're, you're also seeing it at a, at a broader geographic level too, where people say, I don't need to live exactly where I work. Then what kind of day-to-day -day life do I want to experience? Mm -hmm. And the West coast is a, a great option for a lot of people.
So let's get on to our prediction number three. Interest rates will once again rise in 2022. So this is a really bold prediction. Let's let's talk more about uh, so bold. <laughs> talk about this here. So like out there for you. Did, guys. I mean, did well, any you know of us ex- not expect it to rise in 2022? No, or? we're being a bit cheeky here with with the the generality of that prediction. So we are being deliberately vague in a, in a cheeky way here mm-hmm. and saying that rates will rise. But in the outlook report itself, we are expecting the Bank of Canada's policy interest rate, which is currently almost at zero. It's at 0.25%. Um, we expect that to rise to 1.75% sometime in 2023. And that means we'll probably see four to five quarter point increases this year in 2022. And so again, this the, the policy interest rate is a rate that is determined by a group of economists and analysts and sit around a table and weigh the various factors that are um, or trends in the economy, dimensions of our economy, uh, whether it's consumer spending, household debt, home prices, employment, inflation. Um, and they, they, they look at all of those factors and they, they try to determine whether interest rates should stay the same, should be higher, should be lower. If they raise interest rates, essentially what they're doing is incentivizing saving at the margin and disincentivizing spending. So, so you'd see the rates go up when it seems like the economy is maybe running a bit too hot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the flip side, they, they would lower interest rates to encourage spending and to discourage saving if the economy seems like it needs a bit of a boost. So obviously right now we're in sort of a high inflation environment. Um, asset prices have increased, home prices specifically, and interest rates are at rock bottom levels, right? That policy interest rate. So, mm-hmm. so it's not bold saying you're going to increase it. The Bank of Canada themselves have said we are going to increase the rate, right? right. So that begs the question, what does that mean for housing? And more specifically, if you're a buyer or a borrower or a homeowner, what does that mean for you? So what's interesting is we talk about interest rates going up. What's it going to be like when interest rates go up? Well, they have been going up, actually. So about a year ago, the discounted rate, which is ultimately, it's not the posted rate. It's not the the interest rate that you'll see on a bank's website, but it's ultimately the one that you have on your contract. The discounted rate is always lower than the posted rate. Mm -hmm. The discounted rate was for a five-year fixed mortgage rate. On average, was around one4 I mean, historically low, we've never seen anything like that in Canada. Um, And since then, it's risen to over 2%. So, and against that backdrop of rising, real rising, a real rising cost of borrowing, we set an all-time record for MLS sales in this region, over Mm 70,000. And what's interesting is that in the 12 months leading up to the beginning of last year, so we're talking now the beginning of 2020, to the beginning of 2021, interest rates actually fell dramatically from the mid twos to the mid ones. And during that period, we had about a third fewer sales. So I'm giving that context because just because interest rates go up doesn't mean that housing market activity will necessarily slow. Like we know prices have been increasing dramatically over the past year too, unsustainably so, but sales have been up, prices are up. Okay. So just in saying that rates will go up in the coming year, we're not also saying that we think that that will crater the housing market, but it will impact purchasing affordability. So for every quarter point increase in borrowing costs, it does affect purchasing power for a new buyer. So all else being equal, keep their incomes the same, down payment the same, 
all that stuff, it reduces their purchasing power by about 2%. So we are going to see a little bit of a, so on a million dollar purchase, that's uh, $20,000. So it's not, um, in, in the grand scheme, it's a significant number, but it's not Im immaterial. Um, so we do see with the Bank of Canada raising their rates, we do see the discounted rate that ultimately borrowers have on their contract over the course of the year going up by about three quarters of a percentage point. So, you know, we're talking about potentially a reduction of purchasing power for those impacted of around six to 8%. So again, something, not everybody is in that situation. A lot of people are locked into five-year contracts. And so they won't face a renewal. They won't face new rates for one, two, three, four, five years. But for those people who are, um, are in the market right now, as these rates go up, their purchasing power will be impacted slightly. Yeah, and that's um, exactly into the next prediction, prediction number four. We won't set any new records in pre-sales or resale activity in 2022. So we all know the housing market was extremely active last year. Um, can you give us some numbers and help us understand a little bit more of what this activity is or what it looks like? Sure. So starting with resale. So we did more than 70,000 sales in the region last year, which was a record as we've talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and it was uh, massively higher than 2020. So it was 41% higher than the year before, 44% higher than the 10 year average, and even 10% higher than the previous record, which was 2016. So we're talking about not just a new record of activity in the resale market, but substantially higher. Um, and pre-sales, the numbers are actually a little bit more shocking. So almost 26,000 pre-sales uh, in 2021, which was more than double 2020 and 27% higher than the previous record. So essentially what we're saying here is that uh, we're still expecting to see elevated sales in 2022, just not the um, insane record numbers that we saw in 2021. So we're, we're projecting 56,000 resales, which would be down 21% from last year, a big, a big drop, but still we're talking about 10% higher uh, than the long run average. So we're still predicting a busy year for this market, even in the face of rising rates and constrained inventory, because we know there's still quite a bit of demand out there. And we're predicting 21,000 pre-sales, which would be down 18% from last year, a big drop again. Uh, but we're still predicting the second highest total we've ever seen in this market. So we're saying that 2022, we expect to be more active in the pre-sale market than in any year other than 2021. So while we're saying, yes, activity is going to come down relative to last year, we're still projecting uh, some big numbers in, in this market in this year. Yeah. And I think inventory um, constraining sales is... Um is a, is a reality right now for sure. Right. I mean, if you <laughs> take away the jargon, you just, you, you, you talk to somebody who's looking to buy, there just aren't the options that there typically are not just at this time of year, but at any time. Um, and so we are forecasting a bigger drop off in resales, um, than pre-sales you know, in part because we see the supply side constraining, um, like that lack of availability constraining buyers ability to actually purchase, even if the demand exists. Um, and we think it will. Um, but on the pre-sale side, there is, I think, 40 to 50,000 homes that are, you know, in the, in the pipeline to be released, made mm -hmm. available for purchase this year. Not all of them will be, but there's just less of a supply side constraint within pre-sale. 
um, which is really positive because those pre-sale homes, eventually they get built and they get added back into resale and it just bolsters that inventory, um, which is really needed when you look at, you know, we've talked about this before, but like since 1989, when we first started, uh, or when inventory data from MLS was first tallied for this region, so like 32, 33 years, the region's grown by 1.3 million people and added 500,000 homes. And yet we have like the lowest inventory ever right now. So it's not even growing slowly, um, as you might expect over time, the way that sales kind of has, um, there just is nothing out there. So, so fortunately on the new construction side of the market, we are seeing some, um, some green shoots, if you will. So we covered a lot today. We covered four main predictions. The first being rising immigration numbers for Metro Vancouver in 2022. The second is lowering unemployment rate. The third is rising interest rates. And the fourth final prediction was 2022 will not be a record-breaking year for resale and pre-sale. Listen, we make these predictions. They, there's, there's, there are, um, they're valuable in a couple of ways as I see it, right? One is in the numbers themselves. We're giving actual concrete predictions for this year, but we also know we're going to be wrong, right? Mm-hmm. In a, for a number of reasons, right? Um, because all of these predictions ultimately reflect a whole bunch of dynamics that we, we can't predict. Um, and so the other value in producing a report like the Rennie Outlook and providing these predictions is to actually do what we're doing now is to talk through some of the, the reasoning and the logic behind it. How did we get there? What are we looking at? And you'll find that information in the report as well. So Natalie provided a lot of great insights today. I'm just wondering if you have any final advice for any home buyers or home sellers right now? I would say like a lot of things right now, just take a beat, take a breath, get really clear on where, what your family goals are and where you want to be and step out of the frantic noise. Um, Jane, who was on last week, mentioned expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would I would agree with her, as I do most of the time, um, on, on that. And um, you need to be surrounded by professionals. It's a really competitive market. You need to be prepared and mm-hmm. have a really good team that's advocating for you and can help guide you through this. Thank you, Natalie. I, I actually really agree with everything that you just mentioned as well. <laughs> so if anybody wants to dig a little deeper and find out more information from you, how can they reach you? On the Ready website, which is NatalieJanaeGenest.ca, and on my Instagram, which is at NatalieJanaeGenest Realtor. And yeah. Thank you, Natalie. And this concludes this episode of the Rennie Podcast. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out the latest Rennie review and other intelligence information on the Rennie.com slash intelligence. Be the first to receive this information straight to your inbox. Register for intelligence updates. Natalie, it was a pleasure to have you join us today. We really Always appreciate your time. Always a pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Ryan Berlin and Ryan Wise. Thank you again. I can't wait to see what this year brings. Us too. Yeah, Thank thanks you. a lot. That was fun. Thank you, everyone. Have a good day. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production and is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, All resources mentioned in the episode can be found on rennie.com.